0: Well, what do you do when you win World Cups? You speak to World Cup winners, right? We've already spoken to Simon O'Donnell, but why didn't we get a two-time Rugby uh, World Cup winner? Unfortunately, it was with the rugby, not the cricket. Um, the great days of the 1990s, they seem so far away, but Timmy Horan is a two-time World Cup winner. He's also a greatly respected pundit on the game of rugby with Stan. He's on the line. G'day, Timmy.
1: G'day, Jimmy. Yeah, I was actually, I was a handy sort of lower order batsman and a bit of a wicketkeeper, but a uh, long long way off uh, playing representative cricket, but gee, it was a great uh, night last night. Watched it for a long time and uh, congratulations to the, to the guys. Uh, what a wonderful effort.
0: Is there an affinity there, mate? You're a World Cup winner for Australia and, you know, there's not many of you, but is there an affinity there with those people, in, even if it's other sports that you have with them, when they achieve what must be arguably your fondest memories in rugby?
1: Yeah, I think you understand, you know, what you've gone through in the last three or four years in building up to, you know, a game like you know, a Rugby World Cup, uh, whether it's any any sport. And, you know, the Women's Rugby World Cup as well is coming upon us in a couple of years' time, what they did. But I think you understand the sacrifices, that you're away from family and friends and, and how hard you work. It's the work that you do, Jimmy. You've been there before. The work that you do when people aren't watching. It's six o'clock on a Sunday morning, practising a certain skill that you want to get better at. And that skill may, may come out in a, in a final of a World Cup. And, you know, Travis, heads, catch, that sort of thing. You, you're practising that in the park as a young player and then um, it pays off.
0: Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Um, well, Timmy, let's get to your code, rugby. Um, incredible weekend. On Friday, we had the letter where six-member unions said that, Hamish and you must step aside. We've lost all faith in what it is that you're can do, extraordinary general meetings. And then Hamish is ousted. Daniel Herbert, an old teammate of yours, comes in as the new chair of Rugby Australia. Overall, Timmy, how do we assess the the four-year period of the McLennan um, chairmanship?
1: Well, I think you look back and, you know, what he did when the game uh, was going through tough times. All sports were through COVID. Um, He did a magnificent job holding on to the game of rugby, um, getting a broadcast, a new broadcast rights deal after, of course, Fox Sports had the rights for 10 years plus and then he got an understanding with Stan Sport uh, and Channel 9 and got that through for the next three years, another two more years to go. So that was really important for the financial security of the game. So people, I think, need to understand that as well. I, I, I like Hamish. I think he did a really good job. Uh, he's a bit like Peter Volandis. He had to try and get some airtime into the game and uh, was probably more of a executive chairman than a non-exec chair and that's because yep. of the passion he has for the game. Um, and I think now it's up. So I think, you know, wonderful effort from, um, you know, what what's happened over the last couple of years from Hamish. So uh, I think all the rugby folks should say thank you Hamish and now move on. And then Daniel Herbert, my old centre partner, will be there as chair and um, he's done a, a lot of work through rugby since he's retired and the game's got to move on and, you know, the Eddie Circus has finished now. Um, we've got to take our time and find the right coach or the right coaching staff to come in and you know we don't play another test match until uh, I think it's late June next year so we've got some time but I think just the, ga- the game of rugby Jimmy you probably see it as well just because the Wallabies are losing doesn't mean the game of rugby is at, at rock bottom you know you've seen country rugby uh, women's rugby in the women's sevens program I think it's the third or fourth fastest growing sport globally now so the game in those country areas, club rugby, shoot shield, you know, hospital cup yeah. in Brisbane, all around the country is pretty strong. Um, you know, it's just that we need the wallabies as our, you know, window shop to, to perform better and to win big test matches.
0: Mm, that The fact that he was the executive chairman rather than the non-executive, that's been seen as a criticism by some parties over the course of the weekend. Do you think that freedom now is for Phil Waugh and to a lesser extent, Daniel Herbert, depending on what sort of way he wants to play it, uh, to get in there and, and make the change that they feel is necessary?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that there won't be too much change. but I mean, the change will have to come in when that centralisation of the high performance units, and that, that'll that be, you know, all around the country, and, you know, um, the Brummies and the Queensland Reds hold a lot of power, and they were the ones who, you know, really were the ones who put the letter to Hamish and say, listen, it's probably time to move on so we can move forward, and um, you know, I just hope that, you know, Hamish was very close to a couple of very large benefactors, and I hope that Daniel Herbert and the board can then continue those discussions to help, one, fund the game, maybe maybe an interest-free loan uh, from that benefactor to move the game forward. Because, Jimmy, you've seen a lot of um, kids who are playing in grade 11, grade 12 at rugby schools. They were already contracted to go and play for the Titans or the Dolphins or the Rabbitohs. So we'd like to have a have a crack at those players with a bit of a fund to try and hold some of those players. So there's a lot of work to do. But, um, you yeah, I think, you know, for the game of rugby to move forward... I just think if we had any spare money the sevens programs around the country is the way to go. Because it's an entree for young boys and girls to play sevens, to play rugby. And then they might say to mum and dad, listen, let's just go and watch a super rugby game. Let's go and watch the Waratahs play on a Saturday or a Friday night.
0: Yeah, no, it's a good point. What are the attributes that Daniel Herbert brings to the role, mate? As you say, he was your old centre partner, a long time Uh, representative for the Wallabies and the Reds and has found success in business, um, had a long time at the Reds as well as an executive. What do we anticipate from Daniel?
1: Oh, I think a a very measured approach from from Herbie. He's a a wonderful guy. You wouldn't meet a nicer guy than Daniel. And, you know, he he does his homework, uh, his due diligence on certain things before he moves ahead. And he'll have a lot of people around him. Um, Brett Clark, who's the chairman of, Uh, the Queensland Reds, uh, a very experienced player, one of the owners of Chemist Warehouse and um, people like that to call on around Herbie to make sure that when that board does make a decision and the chairman steps in, he's got to make the right decision. So um, he's a great guy and someone who understands the game, not just at the high level at the professional level, he also understands the women's game, understands grassroots rugby, country rugby and he's played a lot of club footy in Brisbane he understands that that's the the heart and soul of a community is the club footy.
0: Yeah. So that's the really interesting part around it. So centralization you talked about. So there's a couple of different ways to look at that. There's the commercial centralization, and from what I understand, the the Brumbies have the loan, and they're a little bit concerned about that. The Reds are fine. They're going really well financially. And then there's the high performance alignment as well. How what do you think is the best way to move forward? Tim, for rugby, at not just at the Wallaby level, not just at Super Rugby level, but as you say into the grassroots as well?
1: Well, I think the sticking point at the moment for the centralisation, as far as I understand, I've had a big break since uh, the World Cup's finished, but what I understand is that obviously the high-performance unit, all, all the, the five provinces, the five states in Super Rugby Pacific are happy to bring all the high-performance units indoors to Rugby Australia for them to run that. So If you get two coaches who are probably the best two coaches in the country and they're both at the Brumbies, one of those needs and should be moved to, say, the Western Force or the Melbourne Rebels to share that load around. So we're all singing from the same hymn sheet to make sure those coaching um, structures and also players as well. If you've got three of the best fly halves playing at the Waratahs, one of those should be moved to, say, the Melbourne Rebels. So that... And there's other high performance areas there as well. The other sticking point, I think, is the more the commercial um, arms of those Super Rugby teams that Rugby Australia would like to try and control that. So if you're going to a for the likes of Santos to sponsor the Waratahs or the Wallabies, then you can potentially use that to sponsor another two or three clubs. So I think it's just that centralisation of the commercial arm, which is probably the sticking point of the month. Yes, high performance. I think everyone's on that same page. I think the, the commercial side of it might be a bit harder to, to play.
0: Yeah, interesting. There are reports that Dan Herbert, uh, in his role with the, the Rugby Australia board um, in Rugby Matters, um, not a huge fan of Joseph Acuso Swarlihi and his signing. Do you think that the raids on Rugby League Will stop, and there'll be, um, you know, resources distributed elsewhere. You hinted at it earlier.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know we we need to make sure. I think at that. The schoolboy level at grade and schoolgirls level at grade, you know, at ten, eleven, twelve, where a lot of these kids uh, are being picked up by rugby league talent scouts and then put into scholarships at at private schools playing rugby, but also, but then automatically they're contracted to other clubs. So we need a bit of a fighting fund to maybe offer those players, you know, similar amounts of money. It's only small amounts, probably they're you know, the tens or twenty or or some of them fifty thousand dollars whilst they're at school. To stay on for a couple of years and play rugby, I think that's the that's the bigger play, and that that won't be a sugar hit for a while. That that'll that'll take three to five years to come through and to see those players come through to Super Rugby, and um, uh, that that's one area. I think Daniel Herbert, um, yeah, he might he might, you know, there's, there's the odd player in rugby league, but they've got to have best intentions in in play, and you know, you look at Joseph, he played rugby most of his life growing up, so. Not as yeah. if he's we're going to someone who's played rugby league since he was three years old and coming to rugby, he's played rugby. So um, players like that, and there's a lot of Fijians and Pacific Islands that have played a lot of rugby at school and have done one or two years in rugby. And they might be interested to come to, to rugby union to potentially not just play super rugby, but potentially to play a, a World Cup at home.
0: Yeah. Imagine you in the tuck shop line at Dowlands College uh, with $50,000 in the back pocket, Jimmy.
1: (laughs) You'd get get a few toasted cheese and ham, wouldn't you?
0: (laughs) Red frogs for everyone, I would have thought with that one. Um, You mentioned uh, the World Cup. Um, I know we were all disappointed with the the way things played out for the Wallabies. I spoke to someone who was over there uh, just recently and they said you have to realise how successful the World Cup was from Mm. every viewpoint except the Wallabies. How was it for you?
1: Uh, it was incredible, sort of eight weeks, Jimmy, and um, you know, hopefully through Stan Sport and Channel Nine, we brought that atmosphere back to everyone back in their living rooms in Australia. It was an incredible atmosphere, and it really makes you realise. Of course, we, we understand, you know, as rugby players and sporting fanatics, how big NRL is, and also Aussie Rules in Australia. Um, but when you go overseas, you real and in a rugby World Cup, you realise the global scale of rugby and how big it is globally. Like um, Portugal, Spain, Uruguay, Argentina, all these, but they are fans like football, soccer fans. They're incredible atmosphere and, you know, even, you know, the size of the traditional size like Wales and England, the the supporters that they bring. And, you know, really the best final probably would have been France versus Ireland because of the atmospheres that they brought with their fans and the supporters. But, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful eight-week tournament and uh, I felt sorry for the Wallabies fans that... Of course, we all know they pay a lot of money to be there, save up for four or five years to be at a Rugby World Cup. I spoke to some supporters who'd been to every single Rugby World Cup that was their 10th World Cup, and some of them sold houses just to be there. And So a lot of passionate fans, Jimmy, for for rugby, and and you see how big the global game is. And, you know, Stan Sports now got the rights to... The um, the sevens uh, competition around the world. It's going to be, I think, it's in Perth on the Australia Day long weekend. So that's a great little entree for people to, to watch rugby, when it's quite exciting. And we'll get back. Um, the Wallabies will get back. We'll find a new coach at some stage. The, you know, I think we've got the right players. I think we just need a bit more direction.
0: And just on that, any idea on the coach who that who that might be?
1: Oh, I'd be going hard for Dan McCullough. I mean, Dan McCullough was the Brumbies coach for many years. Uh, he's been assistant yes. coach for the Wallabies. Uh, he, he left after Eddie Jones came in. I think he must have known what was probably going to happen and maybe didn't want to be part of that and wanted to go experience something. He's over in Leicester, so over in the UK right. coaching there. And he's into his first year. So he's only six months into his first year there. So uh, it might be hard to break that contract, but most coaches who go offshore have a clause in their contract that if an international team comes calling, you, you're, you're able to, to break that contract if it's an international um, coaching opportunity. So I'd be getting Dan McKellar, I'd be getting his, you know, assistances, um, Stephen Larkham, Laurie Fisher and Scott Wiseman. They're, they're, the, they're the four pl- uh, coaches that should be able to take this team forward for the next two years to, you know, to you take them through to British and Irish lines and then give them another two-year option to go through the World Cup and you can plan.
0: Yeah, yeah, sounds like a good plan to me. Timmy, as always, um, great to have you on, mate. Really passionate about the code. Everyone can hear that and um, enjoy um, your day today. I know you will. I know you had a bit of a sleep in and that's fair enough too, but uh, great to have you on, Tim.
1: Good on you, Jimmy. Uh, Nice to chat and um, we'll talk to you in the new year when Super Rugby starts.